Hey folks, Christian here with another episode of Film Fanic, and today I have my first guest, Michael Jacobs, a good friend of mine from the Art Institute of Philadelphia. Michael, welcome. Yeah, thanks. It's good to be here. It's just always fun um, for those of you that don't know our dynamic. It's always work, right, related in some way, shape, or form, but it, it always goes beyond that in some some way where we wind up laughing for hours on end, but... I feel like our dynamic is always um, we get the work done through doing that kind of stuff, if that makes sense, Christian, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, it sucks that we don't get to hang out more. I, You know, you live in Philadelphia and I live in New York. But when we're working on a project, I always appreciate how you reach out to me to bring me on. I do love going out to Philadelphia and, and spending that time with you. It, it's been how long since we met? 2011 we started at the art institute we know each other yeah yeah yeah. 2011 yeah so 10 years yeah (laughs) we're getting old we need to get our shit together because we should have an oscar by now we see those uh those things online that say like oh so and so won his first oscar at 26 or 27 and i'm like oh all right well yeah maybe when when I see a movie that I end up really, really liking and I find out that that was the director's first feature, I'm thinking, damn, I need like I need to step up my game. Yeah. But like we I think it was I was I was talking to you the other day where it's it's sort of promising a lot of times when, you know, I, I do see a movie that I like, right? And I pull up, you know, I'm 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 a hardcore IMDB, you know, guy. I reference it all the time. <laughs> and when I do pull it up and I see like you know, it was the the person's first feature, but but before that, you know, they their experiences uh, align more closely to what we do and the level that we would consider ourselves on right now. And then and then you know they just caught the right break, and they're working on, you know, Hollywood tentpole, whatever that whatever that film's title is. You know what I mean? And, and in in a way, it's like kind of a jealousy factor sets in, but in another way, it's like you know, you can kind of see the light and you're like, wow, but what well, could be me? You know, that could happen to us. It's not out of the realm of possibility, which kind of keeps, um, you know, you motivated, I guess you could say, right? You know? It's true. You, you really don't need so, so much these days to create something fantastic. I'm thinking about that film Tangerine by Sean Baker. That movie was filmed on an iPhone. And it went on to do well critically and and received positive recognition. So you don't need the latest and greatest gear or a big budget to achieve a movie that could receive some sort of success, you know? So, yeah, looking at stuff like that, we are there. We are there. We do have the capability. Yeah, no, I I agree. And to be honest with you, I think nowadays, which is a good thing, I mean this in a positive way, the way the film industry is and the way the the media industry as a whole works, you know, we kind of have the capabilities to do these things at our fingertips. And I can't even say that we, we have to do it or that we should be doing it. Cause I think we already are in a lot of ways, you know, we, we work on films, we work on things that we have the budget to achieve in a high quality. We, we take on work to help out other filmmakers that, you know, want to do similar projects, you know, when we're not at the helm, right? And I, and I think that's part of um, 
I think that's part of the community and I think that's part of the industry. And to be honest with you, in a lot of ways, that's kind of making it nowadays. You know what I mean? It's not the old uh, studio system days where you sneak onto the lot for the summer and no one really notices that you're, you're not supposed to be there. You know, th those days are kind of gone, you know, and, and I think it's um, more or less what we do now. You know, we kind of get together as a group of friends, somebody or multiple people within, within the crew, you know, have an idea and we do it and we get it out there how we can. And I think that's, um, you know, I think that's just kind of the business to put a label on it nowadays. That's my two cents, but I, I think that's kind of, kind of how it is, you know? Yeah, it's a good time to be a filmmaker. Yeah, and we have a lot of streaming services to throw us a bone. Which, you, um, know, you, hear, you hear a lot of times, which I believe to be the case, you know, the streaming services will will take the bigger chances because the risks are lower. And, um, you know, I, I think that's definitely a good thing for us. You know, definitely a good thing for us. What kinds of um, films would you say was very inspirational to you growing up? Hmm. You know, that, that's always a big question that I get that I get asked by, you know, whether it be a student, because I, I do also teach film, uh, or just, you know, a, a fellow classmate while we were still in school, whatever the case might be, even family. And and for me, it it's it's hard to put a a, a real stamp on like that one film or or two films whatever that kind of you know started the itch so to speak mm -hmm. for me i think it was more or less the overall images i mean the, the first thing that i can remember is um you know kind of having the green light go off inside your mind that what you're seeing on on camera is is all a trick right all an illusion you know none of it's really happening everyone is actually safe everyone is is actually not being, you know, as funny as it yeah. sounds to say now when you're an adult, right? Every Everybody's actually safe. No one's actually being shot or beat up or, or whatever the case might be, right? And I always was a person that loved to steal the camera away from, you know, mom or dad or, or my aunts, right? You know, at the parties. And so I, I love to look through the camera and, you know, take pictures or be the person that you know, on school trips, believe it or not, this sounds like it's a, a thousand years ago, but, you know, when they, when they used to sell the disposable cameras, yeah, 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 yeah. Get them, like, the drugstore, right, and they would have, like, the disposable cameras, yeah. you, know, you would drop off the whole camera to get the film developed, and then, you'd, you know, you get the pictures back, but, it, but you threw the camera away, you know, every school trip, my mom would get me one of those, and I was the dork that would walk around, and, you know, take all the pictures and, you know, I, halfway through the trip, my film's already spent, you know, gone. And I just love to create images and it kind of started for me there. And really what built on that was I would watch a lot of movies. My grandpa was a big movie and television guy. We would go over to my grandma's house all the time. I grew up in Northeast Philly. So row home was very, um, close proximity to each other and they lived down the street so we would walk down to their house he'd always have some kind of movie on that was relatively inappropriate for me being young but you know that's the way the family dynamic was Graham yelling at him turn the movie off you know <laughs> but we'd, we'd be sitting there watching stuff together you know if, if of course the way he was it was usually always something from the middle never from the beginning um 
you know, and we would sit and watch stuff. And I would always sit and think like, you know, I take pictures. My dad has a video camera. Like, you know, why, why does the, our home videos not look like these images do like, like they're, they look different. And I, and at the time, you know, when you're seven, eight years old and we're younger, even sometimes, you know, you, you, you can't pinpoint what it is that makes them different, but you just know something inside of you tells you that the, the images just look different than what you create. Right. And, and that was kind of the spark for me. That was kind of the spark for me there. Um, was was actually just through the actual image itself and kind of making that discovery you know through there i did start to form some of my favorite movies like i'll never forget the very first time that you know we watched the wizard of oz you know as a family mm -hmm. the very first time that i i got to take in what the wizard of oz is and immediately you know fell in love with the film and the story and the costumes and you know to me that wasn't an old movie you know to me it was new because I never saw it before, you know, and I, it felt timeless to me because of the way it was done and the effects. And I never questioned like that. It came out in 1939. And that was another thing that kind of was the next step in the process for me, right. Kind of falling for this whole, whole thing that, you know, a movie can be 150 years old, but it's new to you. If you've never seen it, you know, you know, something can't be old or dated if you've never experienced it before, you know, and I think that is kind of one of the cool things about art in general, whether it's, you know, visual or, or audible, you know, film or, or music or, or art, you know, fine art. Um, as long as you haven't seen it, it's new. And I think that is, that's not something that, you know, you can get through just anything, you know, but it's a very artistic thing. And, and that was just another step in the process. And then, on a more technical side of things, you know, to kind of get out of the, of the artsy mindset for a second. My, my dad was a, a part-time event videographer. So he would cover weddings and graduations and all those type of things. And so I, I did have access to cameras and some, you know, editing gear, although that editing gear would seem primitive to some of the people even younger than us, that, you know, didn't really come from the analog world at all. Um, but yeah, that was kind of the next step, you know, having access to the stuff, getting on, you know, quote sets, um, being able to shoot those weddings with my dad, you know, 13 years old, and I'm out there lead camera at someone's wedding, <laughs> not a, not a redo type of situation, you know, and I right, think right. probably a lot of eyeballs on that. And I give credit to my dad for allowing me to, to do that really honestly, because, you know, there's not too many um, event videographers that would let their 12, 13, 14 year old kid out there, you know, while he goes to the bathroom or something like that, you know, and, mm -hmm. and actually trust the skill set that what was being done was at a high enough quality to match the, you know, the pro work that he would do and all that, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, from there, it was just when I actually got to be able to do that kind of stuff. And then, you know, my first editing teacher was really my dad, you know, and, you know, how to make something entertaining to watch and how to take the, the best moments and kind of create, create it together in a montage and piece those things together, you know, and, and being able to take the footage that you shot that you thought was good, you know, and, and manipulate it into something um, 
bigger than itself by itself, you know, when it's soldiered up next to all the other things that you shot, all the other images you created, that was when it really went off for me. Like, wow, you know, you get like, I see the process now in front of, in front of me, not on the TV screen that I don't know how it was done. You know, I know how this was done and I did this and, you know, it, it, that, that was kind of just what really did it for me. And I never let it go from there. You know, I was always, doing something with camera stuff or, or wanting to do more with camera stuff. And then in high school, I took all the film classes and media classes I possibly could. And I just never looked back from there. Once I figured out that you didn't have to go out, run out to Hollywood to become someone that was experienced and educated in film and television and all that kind of stuff, I stayed right in my, my city and, and got a great degree and a great education, you know, in that and, and went on to, to do it professionally, you know, and, and, and still do, you know, still pursuing and still learning. So that's kind of where I came from, you know? So the long winded answer is I, as what I just said, the short ended uh, <laughs> answer is kind of, I'm not that typical. I saw gone with the wind and, you know, I fell in love with movies, right. You know, that, that wasn't really how it happened for me. It was kind of just a, you know, a process, but nonetheless led to the same, result i guess you could you could say that sounds like uh like a a positive flip or spin on the when you get to see how the sausage is made kind of thing yeah absolutely and and, you know for anybody that is might be a new listener or somebody that doesn't really have a lot of um experience like i was lucky enough to get or experience like we both had from the school uh you know don't believe that it's all positive because there is negative things that come with it there is negative features of of having a passion for this stuff but it it's always it's always outdone by the passion right it's always outdone by how you feel about it you know if you really do truly love to do it and you have to love to do it you do even though it's an artistic thing it's just it's really at at core just like any other job you know if it's not really what you want to do you just think it looks fun or you think that you might get fame or fortune or, or whatever out of it. Um, you know, it's just like kind of being a doctor for the money, right? It's, it, it kind of equates to the same thing. You still have to really want to do it. You still have to want to wake up every day and think about this kind of stuff and be involved with this kind of stuff and be motivated to do it. Or if, if not, the work will suffer. And when the work starts to suffer, your attitude starts to suffer and it's kind of a snowball effect so don't you know be deterred by the art and and how interesting it is you know if you like to watch movies right that might be as far as it goes for your interests in the film industry but if i had any piece of advice uh for anybody that is new out there i would say that if you have any inkling of an interest or any kernel of thought that you might want to do this kind of stuff the only way you're going to find out whether or not you really want to do it is to try it. And you have to, because you're always going to regret not doing it. And I'm always, always glad that I didn't, you know, I might've found out that I hated it, but I was never going to find out that I didn't hate it. If I, if I didn't do it at all. Right. So and that's kind of, kind of my philosophical two cents on that, but you know, you know, it's, it's good how you were saying uh, how your father was, he was a videographer, so he had 
equipment that you got to play around with. For me, film school was helpful because I didn't have access to equipment like that. So film school gave me that. But sometimes I wonder if it was worth the debt that I'm in now. But but now for anyone starting, you know, and you're wondering, should I go to film school? If not, what do I do? The technology now is so good and so affordable. Like Resolve is a great editing software and you can get it for free. YouTube has hundreds, if not thousands of tutorials teaching you how to make a film, how to edit, how to tell a story, you know, how, how to light and, and create good images with equipment you can get at Home Depot. Yeah, I'm going to get a lot of love for what I'm about to say. And I'm going to get a lot of, pro- you know, probable hate. <laughs> nah, no one can hate you, Michael. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, um, I I am actually, I'm in agreement with what, with what you're saying, Christian. And I am, I'm not, which might even come to a surprise to you. I, I'm not a, a, I'm not for or against, but I'm definitely not a gigantic, huge proponent of like, you have to go to film school. Um, I'm not a huge proponent of having to go to college in general. I think that you should follow what you really want to do. If you're passionate about one of the trades, you know, go, go do that. Right. If that's what you want to do and that's how you're going to make your money and that's how you're going to be successful and get up and go to work every day, then, then do it. Right. You don't have to go to college to do that. It doesn't make you any less successful. And at the end of the day, right. Film really just a trade, right. It's really just a trade. And if you found another back way into getting into it, you self-taught and maybe lucky enough to kind of land some sort of internship or apprenticeship somehow and you kind of cut your teeth that way you know there's really nothing wrong with that and to be honest with you your work is going to speak louder than the piece of paper that you spent money on telling you you know how to do what you were taught to do for sure that piece of paper i have yet to be asked for it no one has asked me for my diploma or really where i've studied Um, The school worked out for me in that it allowed me to connect with people like you because I'm timid. So going out there to network and introduce myself to people is outside of my comfort zone, which sucks for the job that I want to do. Um, But that's why it worked for me in that sense. Cool. But it really doesn't have to be your first or only option. I mean, that might be easier to say though for people who live in cities like New York or Los Angeles where you can probably go on Facebook and find a lot of film groups or attend a lot of film festivals. So for those outside of cities, school might be a good way, if not the best way of finding that community. However, it does seem like a lot of people, even people who went to film school, they get to where they are through that other way of picking up a camera or some audio gear or downloading an editing software and freelancing, you know, or, or joining, a, joining a set as a PA or an AC and making connections that way. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and, and don't get me wrong. Like, like I said, it, it's really different for everybody. You know, would I take back going to film school? No. If I had to give, if, you know, if I had to give an answer, you know, life or death answer, I, I would probably say no. I don't regret it 
it was an enjoyable experience. The network that you build is really useful. I've, I've used that. Obviously, we're sitting here talking right now. I've, I've used the network beyond just school and projects. You know, you build friendships, you build, you know, lifelong working partners, you have access to things that you might not have access to otherwise, and that's all well and good. But on the flip side, right, I can't say that if I was presented with an alternate route, that was a really solid way to go that I wouldn't have taken that either. Yeah, I I could have, but that's not the way it worked out for me. If that's the way it worked out for you, and you're okay with that, or, or, you know, you you don't know how it's going to work out for you yet, because you're not there yet. That's fine. You know, just don't think there's there's one solid path to get there and 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 trust me if 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 film is something that you will pursue right and something that you you go after you're going to hear that a lot oh there's not one path you know it kind of starts to like get annoying the more you hear that because you you really just are like can somebody just please tell me (laughs) how to make it or how to do this because you hear it so often like oh there's not one path this is what i did but you might not do that and to be honest with it until you're kind of through the educational process and you're and you're more focused on like you know i have the skills behind me now and i want to start to turn this into a career right probably all the way up until that point you're going to hate that phrase and then when you get to that point you're going to realize how true it is and you're actually going to learn to love and appreciate that that's the way it works because i think you'll come to find that if there was only one way to do it um, there'd be a lot of people that would be on the outside looking in because, you know, one path does not work for everybody. Right. And, you know, you're going to, you're going to eventually thank uh, the, the system for working that way, you know, because I, I kind of think that we're in the thanking process right now, if I'm not mistaken, Christian, at least I am anyway, because, you know, if there was only one path to do it, me, you, you know, another name that we work with, you know, our, our, our now mutual friend, Matt, you know, we would all have our bags packed and be roommates out in Los Angeles somewhere, <laughs> you know, probably flat broke and, and pot potentially jobless. Right. But we don't have to do that because that's not the only way to do it. You know, if it was, that's no longer the other, you know, the only way. Yeah. That's a good point. I, I, I would recommend, like consider using that tuition money to make a movie or three instead. Yeah. I, and I would say too, just as another piece of advice, not to sit here and, and preach, but the the teacher side is, is starting to come out a little bit. And, you know, I would, I would say don't be afraid to give it a shot. Like Christian said, you know, try to make a film. Right. But remember what a film is story. What, mm-hmm. You know, what is a story? drama, conflict, character, things that are relatable that we can get interested in, not special effects, not what camera you shot it on, not where you shot it or what actors you used or anything else, you know, that we could consider of cosmetic nature, right? It comes back to the story and having a solid story on the page and creating solid visuals to build upon that story to carry out that story, right? To convey what you meant on the page through image, right? That's what a movie is. So don't think that you have to write something with 15 actors that everything gets blown up and people jump out of helicopters, right? 
you can have a film with one or two people um, that you film in your living room for free on your cell phone with a three-page script and your cousins, right? That works out better than, you know, any epic type of thing you could have put together and crowdfunded $10,000 worth of, of money to do, right? It's not about that. Yeah. It's about the, the passion for what you're doing, right? And what you are able to pull off in the best way possible, right? And, and just remember that. Don't, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that, but just keep that kernel of information in your, in your mind if there is any young potential budding filmmakers out there that are going to hear this. Story is king. Story yeah, is king. Is. What are the kind of stories that you want to tell? Like, do you notice a, a theme or message that keeps coming through your stories, through the scripts that you're writing? Yeah, actually, yes, I, I, I do. And, and before I, I kind of dive into that, I'll, I'll say that, like, it does take a while for you to kind of find your, your niche, right? So you might hear this, and this is on not film related, unrelated to film, but you might hear like a lot of people say like, oh, parents, you shouldn't, you shouldn't only let your, your child do one sport or one activity you know, because you don't know what their, what their niche is, right? Like you shouldn't only let them play baseball because you want them to play, play baseball or you want them to be a baseball player, right? Let them try baseball, let them try volleyball, hockey, soccer, right? Whatever, because they might be a great soccer player and you're not going to know unless they try it, right? So you might love comedy movies, you might love horror movies, you might love musicals, right? But don't only limit yourself to doing horror or musicals or comedy and you say well I'm, I'm i'm a comedy filmmaker right well give yourself the the okay to try all the genres to try all the styles to try a bunch of different things because that's going to be what your style comes out of right that's going to be what your niche is born out of trying things eliminating things that you know you're just is not your thing right but you're not going to know what you don't like until you try it which I know kind of sucks, right? But you have to try things that you are going to find that you absolutely hate, that you're only going to find you hate because you, you've been through the process, right? Mm -hmm. So don't limit yourself to genre or style or emulate your favorite director's type of thing, right? Just kind of worry about yourself and, and go from there. Um, you know, I'm just, and just kind of throwing that out there because I know I did that, Christian. I don't know if, if you ever did it, but I know like I kind of, started sucking myself into like uh, a certain niche too early on, you know, like when you, when you think you start finding yourself, you know, and you're like, Oh, this is what I'm going to do. Right. And it's like, eh. Oh yeah. I, I did that with horror. Yeah. All, all throughout high school um, and college, I was sure I would become a horror director. And, and right. same for me with, with comedy. I, I, uh, you know, I was kind of all about like that, like the screwball comedy type of, you know, more like teen style comedy and, you know, I, I haven't I haven't written one of those or came up with an idea like that in probably as long as Christians come up with a horror idea, <laughs> you know, and so that's that's kind of my point. But to get back to Christian's original question, a theme or a style or something that kind of shines through all of my work, um, you know, thinking about again this is something that other people are probably going to point out to you more than you actually notice it but yeah. I, I guess something that always kind of comes through my my stories and 
I, I now can can say with a lot of pride that I have a feature, you know, under my belt um, uh, with the barrage of, of shorts that I've written. But most of mine um, are character pieces. Most of the things I come up with are, and by that I mean they're very centrally focused on the character and, and its development over the the plot or the action. I mean, of course, that's still going to be an element of the film, but, you know, most of my things are character pieces that deal with, um, you know, characters that have very normal, imperfect lives that they're not satisfied with, um, you know, growing in, in your, in life and, and kind of reaching those, what we feel as though can be unattainable, unreachable goals, you know, when we're down in the dumps. Um, those are the kind of themes that I, I always see repeating in my stuff. It's, it's always some character in some way, shape or form out to prove themselves um, to someone or some, or something. And really at the end of the day, what they need to do is, is prove themselves to themselves, mm -hmm. essentially as dumb as that kind of sounds. But yeah, that's, that's kind of something that I always, see repeating in in the in the things i've done now that i kind of look back and think about it and, and from things that people point out to me when they read my work or something like that um even my feature even my feature is kind of basically that is the gist of my entire feature length screenplay is is basically the story in a nutshell is is that and uh yeah i guess that's what i would probably say if i had to put my finger on that and if and if he has christian it would be that there's always somebody that hugs. <laughs> I, um, I've told this to Michael that he inspired a character idea. It's a, it's this really depressed guy. Not that Michael is depressed, but this character is, and he's always writing these grand happy endings in, in his stories because that's what he desires for his own life. Yeah, there you go. There you go. And I guess I could say too, that a lot of my films tend, um, to have optimistic characters that don't always get that optimistic ending per se. I, I try to put a positive spin on my endings because I feel like, you know, you can look at things glass half full, but it doesn't mean that it's going to be the ending that you want it mm -hmm. per se, you know? And, and I try to, I try to have a unique ending to my films by thinking of it that way. I, I think strictly happy endings or strictly sad, you know, bleak endings um, are are not quite strong enough. I think it's the combination of the two that adds the that adds the reality check, you know, the reality factor to to films because you know you might have a, a positive twist on a negative situation or find a positive note from something negative or find something negative through something positive, which is the opposite, but that's usually the way I look at it. You know, for instance, the ending to my feature is, you know, in, in the light of optimism, it's, it's working toward looking like the character may achieve what it is that he, you know, wanted, right. Mm -hmm. What it is that he needs. Um, but we don't really show him getting it right. right. We don't show him not getting it either. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like a limbo between the two of, you know, 
we can form our own opinion on how it's going to play out after the after the camera stops rolling and and the characters' lives go on. Um, but that's another thing that's interesting about film and the power of writing is that the film really, for me, shouldn't end when the credits roll. You know, for me, the film is only over when the audience stops talking about it. Yeah. For me and. I, I, and I think the right ending allows the audience to continue to imagine on that walk to the car, on that ride home, in that, you know, while you have your head on the pillow into the next morning, you know, when you're discussing it at the, you know, proverbial water cooler at work the next day. You know, I, I think that is also something that brings a power to um, filmmaking. And also something I try to incorporate in my style is that, you know, the story's life lifespan is um, in the hands of, of of the audience, and if you have too much of a closed ended story, you know the lifespan is over when the lights come up, you know, and and you don't really need your audience to think much further than that. And you know, is that is that the right way to go? Maybe for your story, it is. It very much could be, but you know, for most of the ones that I've written and dealt with so far, you know, it, it, it isn't, and that's fine. You know, e either way, either way works. Um, follow the story, you know, follow what works for, for what you do or what you need to tell, you know, for me, that's hasn't been the case just yet, but I would not rule it out, you know? Yeah. Open-ended films are wonderful for, for that reason that you said, where the film really doesn't end until people stop talking about it. And you really give people, you're sort of handing off that responsibility or that, that um, power, like here, now it's your turn to continue the film, right? And imagine what happens next. And I don't think you really need to put a, uh, at the end of the film, I don't think you really need to wrap up your story so much, but you need, what I think is more important is to get your character somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. And and that, that little last nugget that Christian just said, what I was going to add to that and, and was there is, be cautious because there is a difference between an open-ended ending and not having an ending. And mm -hmm. the difference is whether or not your character has gotten somewhere. And that, that can be getting somewhere emotionally, getting somewhere physically, you know, getting somewhere in advance advancement in career something right they, they need to be a little bit different than they were at the beginning and you know of course you can you can build in some bs change in their character when there really isn't one you know the one i always go back to in in my in my in my student days you know my my screenwriting teacher had had told me you know you can have a character smoke at the beginning and in the very last scene you know, go to light up a cigarette, look at it for a second and flick it away, right? Um, but are they really changed? Right. You know, and um, that always kind of stuck with me. I always think of that. I always think of that example, you know, is, is my character different or are they just flicking that cigarette? And, um, you know, there's always going to be those little kernels of things that people say to you that have a little bit more experience than you do that kind of stay with you and maybe us two right now are acting as that for you guys that maybe listening to this but that was one of the ones I always keep in my pocket and I always come back to and remember you know as, and, and it's funny I I'm sure you have some of them too Chris but 
I always I always say that one to myself and I actually really do mean that it's like I'll, I'll be getting ready to gear up for the ending and I'll be like oh, do I have a do I have a flick a cigarette flicker on, on our hands here or, or is this guy actually in a different you know different place than uh, than he was at the beginning you know is it an artificial change or did they really really change in some way did they earn it yeah going back to the kind of stories you tell you have these characters who are sort of underdogs and then by the end they realize that they don't need to prove something to the world as much as they need to prove it to themselves yeah do you find that you're doing that kind of story a lot because that's something that you can relate to like do you feel like you're an underdog or do you just have a lot of compassion for the underdog um well that's a good question i mean you know i'll be i'll be completely transparent um I would have to say the very first time I wrote a story like that was really just because um, it was very, it was a very tentpole idea that I had. And it was, it was for a, for a screenwriting class. And for the, for those of you that aren't, might not be familiar with like the term tentpole, it, it, I, I mean by that, it was just a very um, commercial type of idea. It wasn't a very art house type of movie. It wasn't a very independent style movie. It was, it was more or less just kind of an idea that, you might see as the summer blockbuster or like the summer uh, teen comedy type of film, right? A super bad-esque type of idea. And it just so happened to deal with a character that had an under, underdog story. It was a, uh, a weight loss um, type of idea. You know, a kid that was trying to get the girl that was trying to get in shape to, um, kind of take on the the school jock kind of guy and this was a story from a while ago so i'm sure i'm missing some some details but i wrote it out beginning to end i submitted it to to screenplay competitions and all that kind of stuff and i got you know really positive feedback i didn't win any awards or any prizes or anything like that but i but i did get positive feedback and, and this was maybe sophomore year of college so this was early on um and i don't really know why i kind of stuck with that you know I, and actually i i don't usually set out to do that um it's just something that comes back i think naturally and i don't really actually can't really give a an answer why um another thing that kind of stuck with me from a screenwriting teacher was that he always said he was a big comedy writer and he always wanted to write a drama so he would try to write a drama and that only worked for about five pages because about page seven he was writing a comedy <laughs> and um you know, and I, and I think that just, it kind of is the same thing for me. You know, I, I, I try to set out to maybe write something um, that I didn't expect to, but somehow, some way, shape or form, I think our minds work in a very similar way when we're in a creative space, you know, and I think that kind of starts to come with what our style is. And I think that's just what it is for me. I think it's to put a, a short, you know, three word answer on it. I think it's, it's my style. I think that's really just what it comes down to. You know, I, I don't, I don't really think of myself as an un underdog, you know, per se. Um, although I probably am to, to in, in comparison to some other people out there, you know, but, you know, it's not like I try to build, build myself as, um, less or not happy with where I am or anything like that. You know, and I try to portray that through my characters or pour myself into the pages, you know, all those kind of artistic type of things you hear people say, but 
I mean, for me, it's kind of just um, a, a movie that I would watch, I guess. And in, in other words, it's kind of type of movies that I like a lot of times deal with characters or stories like that. So I guess maybe it, it deals with a little bit of that too. I, I just tend to uh, write what I like, I guess, you know? <laughs> yeah. It reminds me of this idea, you know, you hear a lot of write what you know, mm-hmm. but it's also cool and fun and okay to explore perspectives that you don't really have. One of the reasons why I love filmmaking, well, storytelling in general is uh, just that it's exploring other people's perspective and psychology that maybe you wouldn't normally have that experience. And you're sort of taking a walk in someone else's shoes and you're finding uh, sympathy for that kind of character. Yeah. And it helps you grow in your personal life and your interactions with other people because of that sympathy that you've gained from putting yourself in someone else's shoes for the sake of writing their story. Yeah, yeah, and I and I actually am a firm disbeliever in 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 write what you know. Um, I used to I used to buy into it, you know. I used to drink the the Kool Aid on that one, but um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, that stopped when I had again one of the best teachers I ever had. Um, Ian Abrams, his name was, who he was a studio executive, if I'm not mistaken, at TriStar. And he had a, a series that he created and went into production at CBS. And, um, you know, really gifted writer, really, really cool guy. And he was kind of the person that got me out of that mindset, who also told me I was a great writer and told me that I should, he would love to see me pursue writing, which coming from him was a very, um, serious thing that I didn't take lightly and he's the one that kind of got me out of that mindset he said don't write what you know write what you like if it's something that you like must mean you're passionate about it and if you're passionate about it you're going to have the the oomph behind you to turn it into a good story or to research that that little nugget of information that you need to write a better screenplay about this topic that you don't have a lot of um familiarity with you know think about war films they're not all written by veterans doctor shows are not written by doctors cop shows are not written by cops you yeah, know we research yeah you don't if, know if you, if you have a bad story you know a, a, a story about a bad person i should say an, an anti-hero a murderer the writer didn't go out on a serial rampage you know for a year before they wrote the story mm-hmm. right it's research it's it's interest but you can always find that little nugget of of um of connection yep. to whatever character you're making or whatever prof- profession that character has or whatever story you're telling that seems to have nothing to do with your own life, you can probably find a bridge that can help you understand that character enough to, uh, or help you feel compelled enough to want to expand and investigate further. And another thing I always say too is, you know, characters, and I'm sure, I don't know how far along some of you out there might be in your filmmaking career, but with writing in particular but you hear a lot you know character wants and needs and all this kind of stuff and you know hero and villain and protagonist and antagonist and at the end of the day it's important to know that there's there's really no bad or evil characters there's only bad decisions and the villain character in your story doesn't know they're the villain you know the the hero to them would be the villain right because you know, it, it's all about obstacles and who stands in the way of who wants what and all that kind of stuff. And and I think you, you can't 
really write characters. And this kind of builds off of what Kirsten was saying, but you can't write characters um, for cynical reasons. You know, you can't write characters bad for the sake of being bad or, or just doing bad things because you need a bad character um, or just enjoying the things that they do, right? There's always some kind of connection, human connection, pain, suffering, um, misguidance, something, right? You know, mm -hmm. you are not allowed to write, in my opinion, and, I, and I've actually heard Aaron Sorkin, great writer, uh, say something similar to this, to the effect of this, and I'll, and I'll you know, kind of give him credit as well, because, you know, it was kind of born from what he said, but, um, you know, you're not, you are not allowed to write characters that are bad, right? Just characters that make bad choices uh, for reasons that must seem important to them, shall we say, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and to them in, in their eyes, in their perspective, in their point of view, they're not evil, right? They're just doing what needs to be done for them, right? Or, mm -hmm. or that what makes sense to them. And that kind of always like struck a chord with me. And, and I think that really swayed um, how I wrote my my antagonistic characters, you know, the negative forces and just how I approached stories in general. And it comes back to kind of what you were saying about, you know, um, you can always find some kind of connection to the characters some way, shape or form, right? And whether that is the story overall, you know, writing something that you might not know a lot about or writing a character that you don't have a lot of experience with, you know, maybe your character is, is drug addicted you know, and you're not, well, we all know that there's things that we've struggled with in life, you know, and we don't, it doesn't need to be as extreme as, as drugs, right? But we know what it's like to struggle with something, put yourself in those shoes and, and think about what that felt like for you, mm -hmm. you know, because everything that we struggle with feels life and death to us, because it's that impactful to our personal life, you know? So, yes, you, you do have more in common with your character uh, than you think you do. You know, don't, don't go out on the street corner and, and start looking for, looking for the, for the sugar dust salesman. You know what I mean? You don't <laughs> need to be doing that kind of stuff to uh, connect, <laughs> to connect to your drug addicted character. Draw comparisons in a lot of other ways and, and your immediate disconnection with that kind of stuff, no matter what it would be, murder or, or war, drug addiction, whatever, um, in my opinion, it brings a very unique perspective um, to the story than somebody actual, that has actual experience with that stuff uh, would bring to it. You know, I'm not saying that their stories would be bad and your stories would be good or vice versa, but, um, you know, your level removed from whatever it is that you don't have a lot of experience with uh, definitely does bring an element to the story because you will look at it in a different way than individuals closer to that subject matter uh, would write it, you know? So think about that as well. Yeah. Well said. And, and I think it's about tapping into the right emotions because we all share the same emotions. We've all been angry or sad or scared or happy. Yeah, absolutely. So one way you can find an experience or struggle of your own that maybe relates to that of your character's experience is by exploring that familiar, mo familiar emotion at its core, 
right now I'm stepping a lot out of the realm of right what you know. Um, I'm currently working on a screenplay that takes place during basic training for the army. However, it's the central conflict that the protagonist faces that I understand and have experienced in my own way. So while I have to research for the sake of the story's setting, the when and where it takes place, I found that bridge that's been helping me navigate through this story. I also had this idea of turning it into a musical, and with Michael's encouragement, I'm doing it. Uh, there are elements in the story that lend themselves well to a musical, so it made sense. But this is, you know, out of my wheelhouse. So it's it's been an exciting challenge. And um, in speaking of music and film, <laughs> I'd like to get into Soul, the uh, Pixar film that came out in December of last year, I believe, directed by Pete Doctor. Now, Soul is not a musical, but it's a movie centered around a musician. And after watching it, I was eager to bring it up to you because it had two things going for it, which I thought you would love. It's a Disney film and the music. Um, to fill the listeners in, Michael is a musical person. Not just that he likes music and films, but he's a musician as well. He plays the saxophone and he's in a mummer's band. Um, but yeah, so Michael and I thought that it would be nice to talk about it for the podcast. But actually, before we get into that, Michael, do you want to talk a little bit about your love for music and musical films? Yeah, I mean, I, music was something I started when I was young, you know, very, very young. And again, that was, a, well, actually, to be specific, around like six years old and came from family, you know, musical family. My dad, both grandfathers, musicians you know, uh, great uncles and cousins and stuff like that, that were, you know, were all kind of involved with music. And yeah, you know, the, the Philadelphia Mummers obviously is a Philadelphia thing, um, live music and, and perform. It's basically performance art pretty much is what it is. Theater on the street essentially is, is a good way of, of putting it's a mix of costume and, and music and dance and, and show. And, you know, it's, 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 it's quite a spectacle if you've never seen it before, had experience with it. And, you know, even if you, even if you don't think it would be your thing, it's something that I highly recommend you, you just experience at least once in, in person. Cause it's, it's swayed many people in, in favor of it once they, they get a taste of, of what it is. And, you know, that's kind of where my love of music was, was born from, you know, I, I, I had an eclectic um, palette for music, I guess you could say, because of the experience of what type of music we would play. We played a lot of jazz. We played a lot of uh, film score type of soundtrack music. We played a lot of Dixieland, ragtime, swing, you know, e even modern day, you know, from 70s and, and up pop type of music, country, you name it. We, you know, we kind of covered that sort of, uh, you know, songbook in, in that in that lifestyle um, within the, the Philadelphia Mummers. And so it was always interesting, you know, I knew a lot of songs when I was younger that that people my age had no clue what they were, you know, and I always found that to be interesting. I always kind of was very proud of that. And yeah, I mean, just that paired with my love of movies kind of makes sense as to why I, I took to musical films, musicals in general, even in the theater, going up to Broadway, seeing shows and stuff like that. Um, and I was just always a big fan of, of musical film because I didn't have to leave the house or go very far to see it. 
you know, and, and to me, I just loved the, the visual mixed with the, with the music, how that tied in to tell the story and, and how it furthered the story. And yeah, I was always a big fan of that. Um, not to mention a big Disney fan and kind of the whole reason we're here um, is, is with soul, you know, and a movie that has a, a theme of jazz, you know, it was again, just something that strikes me uh, gets me initially interested to see something, but the story still has to be there afterwards. You know, I don't watch musicals blindly and say, well, there was music. So I'm going to stand and applaud at the end. Right. As we, as we said earlier, it always comes back to story and musical or not that, that stands true. So the story still has to carry through the music and even in between the music, because we all know that, you know, musicals aren't a hundred percent singing, right? Or they'd be opera, um, which, is, <laughs> which is which that's slightly different. But yeah, you know, so um, the story still has to ring through the music and, mm-hmm. and those moments between the between the music and and I and I always appreciate films that that have a good balance of the two. And um, I, I think Soul was a really good example of that because part of the movie was really about getting lost in the story of the music if that makes sense and you know how where where the music or where your love for really any art because it can it can travel beyond music if you can make that parallel you know if you can make that connection um you know where that can take you personally where it can take you the artist and you know i i have a obviously a direct connection to those experiences with music and with film, you know, both artistic mediums and, you know, chasing your, your passion and, and always kind of double, double guessing or second guessing, I should say, um, where you, where your current status is or, or what you've achieved so far, you know, um, are you where you should be at this stage of, of the game of life, you know, those are all the, the things that soul kind of deals with. And I, and I think especially for, you know, uh, people that are in the, we'll, we'll say independent, you know, low budget circuit of the film world right now, I, I, um, you know, paired with our age, I think that strikes a chord with us directly. And it's kind of, um, you know, that's why it was so impactful for me. And, and, and honestly, I, I put soul right at um right at not at the top of the list but right up there with the other heavy hitter disney pixar films that i've seen throughout my life and i've seen them all you know and and that was that was right up i put it in my top five actually initially after after viewing it and discussing it with my girlfriend danielle who watched it with me um it was instantly in the top five yeah, and, and Pixar is really on their game. I, I love Pixar for expressing such um, important sort of concepts and ideas about life, relationships, feelings, like they do in Inside Out, and and then presenting them to younger audiences, you know, to children. Yeah. But, but they connect to all of us, to adults as well. And in the case of Soul, you have this man, Joe, who is dreaming of... And trying to become a working jazz musician, a piano player. But the movie seems to be saying that life is not just about chasing that one dream or passion. 
but that we should allow ourselves to find passion and joy in even the little things in life, you know, in, in, in the many moments of life. Basically, that we shouldn't let one purpose or goal define us. And there's so much more to to the world around us. And so I, I think this idea resonated with me because I recently stopped believing in, in this idea of us being here with purpose or having a God-given destiny. You know, it's, uh, so I think we're just here. We came to be and the options for ha- adding meaning to our lives are abundant there's no one predetermined road for us in the movie you have this soul that so so there's this realm where souls exist before they inhabit a body on earth and in order to be ready for earth they have to find their um their their spark and it seemed like that spark is supposed to be your purpose in life but what it comes down to and, and this might be a spoiler so cover your ears if you need to what it comes down to is that no one really has a purpose um or one specific purpose you know that they have inspirations or things that they may excel at or want to work toward but life is about enjoying all parts of life and not just boxing yourself into one purpose and i think that's a great philosophy Uh, i like soul for exploring that I I like a lot of Pixar films for exploring these sort of m- mature topics and giving them to children in in a way that they can understand. Although with Soul, I'm not sure how many children are putting this one in their top five. It seems to be one of Pixar's more mature films, where a lot of the movie were with a middle aged man who's seeking his dream job and. A mother who's worried that he's not doing well for himself. I mean, there is a talking cat sequence, but <laughs> no. But really, jokes aside, uh, like, what do you what do you think? Um, you know, and, and I think that's a good question. And you know, as somebody who considers writing to be one of their favorite aspects of filmmaking, you know, I think it is super well written and everything like that. And and what I'm about to say is definitely not a knock. To Disney or Pixar in any way, shape, or form, but yeah, I, I kind of agree. I, I really don't think that there would be a lot of children or, or younger audience members out there that would place. And I'm sure that don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm sure there probably is some that are very philosophical young guys and gals out there that that may. But I'm going to say probably for the most part they wouldn't. And I and I actually further applaud Disney. Um, for still being okay to go ahead and make the movie anyway, because, you know, I, I kind of, as someone who was a Disney fan and grew up as a big Disney fan, Disney World, Disney movies, all that kind of stuff, um, you know, I, I never quite understood why, just because of the theme parks and Mickey Mouse and all that kind of stuff, that people automatically associated with Disney having to make things 100% aimed at a child audience. Um, at the end of the day, they're a film studio and they can make films with other purposes. They can make films targeted at other age grouped audiences. And, you know, I think Soul is is one of those films that they they sort of indirectly did that. And to be honest with you, they're marketing geniuses because they the way they marketed and packaged and, and designed the film still looks like it would be for an appeal to a younger audience yet. And I think there is aspects of it that they can enjoy. Um, 
but I think the roles are reversed a little bit now. You know, I think a lot of times you say a, a, a children's movie has to appeal to adults because they're the ones that are stuck watching with them and <laughs> ones that are, are there yeah. watching with them. And I, and you have to make them laugh too, in order for it to be successful. But I think the roles are reversed here where, you know, this is a, an adult movie that can also appeal to children because this is a film that the parents will be seeing that they also bring the children's to uh, the children along to, if that makes sense. So the kind of the shoes on the other foot in the case of soul, you know, there's just enough in there to keep the children interested while the parents enjoy the film, so to yeah. speak. Um, you know, whereas nine out of 10 times the, 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 the case is the other way, you know, but again, you know, marketing and, and writing geniuses that they are, um, they just know what they're doing, you know, and, and, and looking at the film on IMDb, what is it an eight star rating or something like that? You know, um, the five-year-olds aren't putting that rating out there. (laughs) And that, 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 that speaks, that speaks volumes. And, and, and again, I think some, some of the, not, not to go on too long, you know, um, but, but I, I think some of the negative feedback that it got, was, parents allowing you know their children to make the decision for them and once again five-year-olds don't write film reviews you know but uh or or post online or at least god god knows anymore in 2021 maybe they do but um you know i think sometimes you have a, a parent taking their child to a movie expecting you know the next toy story and when they don't get that you know, they kind of take their child's reaction uh, to the keyboard, so to speak, when they mm-hmm. write their post of the film. You know, and I think we have to forget about that and say, well, okay, fine. They might not have enjoyed it. You might have taken them to the theater in anticipation that it would be a film, you know, of typical Disney-esque nature, shall we say. And it wasn't. Okay, fine. But what did you think? You know what, what? Let that. I'm going to see a Disney movie. I want to see hap hap happy music and dancing and Mary Poppins, right? Take that out of your mind and allow yourself to just sit back and think. Like, did, did I enjoy what I saw? Did I enjoy what was in front of me? It wasn't what I expected, but does that make it bad, right? And I think that the people that instantly go to yes, it wasn't what I expected, so it was bad. Um, are very closed-minded people, hmm. you know. In my in my opinion, and you know, I kind of leave it at that because I don't want to. I don't, you know, I'm not. I don't know if we're trying to avoid spoilers or whatever the case might be. You know, I, I would I would assume maybe we are, but you know, um, well, we could always do like a warning from here. We're gonna have spoilers. <laughs> yeah but uh, you know, i mean because yeah. and, and, and again I, I would actually even i'm okay even without even talking about specifics i think there's so much philosophy behind yeah movies and this one in general that you know you we take what we say and and form your own opinion going into the film and and watch it and and tell me how you feel after you might agree disagree be somewhere in in the middle i, I hate when people say well you agree with me or you don't disagree with me there's no in between. Well, why is there no in between? I mean, 
you know, I, I think every, everything is, is, is a valid, uh, is a valid reason and if you're in between you're in between I, that counts to me you know so i think it's interesting what you said about the parents like some of these negative reviews being parents letting their children speak for them because because pixar really i think they find that great balance between being uh having sort of things and even jokes that adults can be a part of and enjoy while also being entertaining and insightful for children and when you brought up Toy Story, I, I think that was a great example. Toy Story, that was the first Pixar film, right? I believe it, I believe it was, yeah. And it came out in 1995. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then Soul, all these years later, is... Well, there are still these elements that are geared toward children, but I feel there's a lot more in there for the adults than maybe in previous films. Or that it just takes on more of this like I said before, maturity than the previous films. Well, and, well, I think one of the things is, and, and, and it took me a little bit to get to this myself, but I, I think one of the things is, is because Soul is not a, a comedy movie. Mm-hmm. You know, just like any other great movie out there that isn't a comedy, there are funny moments in it, but that does not make, funny moments, you know, does not make it a comedy. And I think that's another thing that people will try to do with Disney. It's like they, they go to see a Disney movie, they expect it to be basically either one of two things, a musical or a comedy. And sometimes we don't get either one. And Soul is really one of those cases. I mean, it, it's, it's basically a, it's in a lot of ways, a, a character piece and it's a dramatic character piece. And obviously that, that varies a lot from the likes of like Toy Story Right, but it's funny that we bring up Toy Story because I hadn't seen Toy Story in a very long time. And it's, it is in the top five of my Disney Pixar films. But I mentioned earlier that I, I, I teach film and we just viewed uh, Toy Story in, in, my, in my course. And you know, I obviously I watched along with the students, of course, because I'm, I'm present during the classes, obviously. And I remember, you know, just watching it just a few weeks ago, I remember sitting there thinking like, my God, this is so much more adult than I remember it being, right? Because when, you know, I'm paying attention that I'm telling the kids, I'm paying attention, excuse me, to what I'm telling the kids to look out for. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm kind of on my toes myself. And I'm listening to the, to the dialogue and I'm listening to the, to the jokes that are in there and some of the things that are done through actions and, and references that are made. And I'm like, man, like, there is no way that the child audience picked up on 90% of the stuff said and done in here. And again, the marketing genius, it, it's all through how it's packaged. It's all through it being a movie about toys and overall it's a comedy and overall, you know, it's definitely not a, a dramatic film, you know, it's definitely in that comedy realm. Um, and there's music and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, it's like, well, the script itself is, is packaged differently given to another studio other than Disney. It, it's, it's a pretty adult movie. I mean, they reference things in there that a kid just does not understand, you know, or, or, or really get, or would pick up on, you know, for instance, um, like one of, one of Sid's toys, you know, if you're familiar with the film, Sid, the evil kid that lives next door. Yeah, one of his toys is a hooker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The kids would not pick up on that. Or Woody references um, AstroTurf 
when he tries to make like a, a space joke mm-hmm. to Buzz Lightyear and you know um kids are like would have no clue what astroturf is or like when he references and he calls Buzz Lightyear um Mr. Lightbeer instead of um Lightyear you know and it's like the kid's not going to pick up really on that either and it, I mean and I could go on and on and on and on like when um Woody is talking to the crew of other toys and and Mr. Potato Head you know pops his lips off and starts like kissing his rear end like you know like you know, like, <laughs> yeah. and, and, like, you know stuff, stuff like that there's just a, the movie's chock full of stuff like that that you know the parents are sitting there hailing and the kids are probably thinking like well what are they laughing at you know there's nothing funny happened yet you know and um again i think soul feels different than toy story bringing back to the genre right bringing back to the genre of it 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 is that that dramatic film it's not a it's not a comedy and 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 maybe that added to the to the adult feel of it you know i don't really know maybe if it was packaged as a comedy written and shot as a comedy you know um it would feel closer to the realm of, of, of a Toy Story or to any other Disney Pixar film out there, not to keep referencing Toy Story. But um, I think the shift in genre away from, away from comedy, it, you know, could, could lend a hand to why it has such a adult feel yeah. to it because the themes I think shine through so much more in a drama than it does, you know, in a comedy, we kind of shroud, the themes a little bit more and and that doesn't just happen in disney movies i mean that happens in any comedy the themes and all that kind of stuff um the deeper meaning stuff tends to get shuffled to the back or to the side or you know they're not as in the forefront because you know a comedy people 99 percent of people see a comedy to laugh not to walk out a changed person <laughs> you know philosophically but um yeah i mean you know i i, I why not also apply that to the disney to the disney realm you know it's, yeah. it's really the same thing I, I give them a lot of credit pixar for pushing that boundary a little more with this one yeah i do too 100 percent. and maybe that'll start a trend who knows i mean especially with it getting positive ratings on imdb and and you know there's there's mixed reviews out there but for the most part i've heard positive things and you know with award season around the corner coming up and all that kind of stuff um yeah, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Maybe it maybe it winds up doing well, and 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 that begins a trend of like you know Disney being a little bit more open to continuing to do it because we all know you know trends are where the dollars are, mm-hmm. you know. So mm-hmm. if it if it if it it's an epic failure, which I, I'm going to say already, it, pro- it probably isn't. Um, mm-hmm. But critically, you know, if if it does okay, I, I think that changes people's perspective. You know, people allow themselves to be okay with it once it wins an Oscar. You, you know, you know what I mean? It's like it, it wins an Oscar and it's like suddenly it's like, I knew that was good all along. You know what I mean? And <laughs> that's just the way like some people are. And, and and the more notoriety it gets, I think the more people allow themselves to be okay with it. It's like no one wants to be the different person. You know, no one wants to have the unique opinion. Everybody wants to be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You said it was not good for kids. So yeah, I'm gonna say that too. But once it starts doing really well, people are gonna be like, yeah that's you know they such a unique job good for you like you know and and i hope that's the case because i would love to see more of these type of of films from from pixar not that they don't already deal with like you said you know deep 
stories with up and all that kind of stuff because they definitely do but i would love to see more of these like non knee slapper laugh out loud laugh a page kind of movies uh from pixar Um, yeah i agree let's put it out there in the universe (laughs) yes okay michael well thank you for talking with me thank you for being the first guest on my podcast oh yeah you're welcome it's always a pleasure to to talk to you or be doing film stuff with you hanging out just shooting the breeze over the phone or whatever it's always a good time you know that perfect timing too because my battery's at like two (laughs) percent all right i'll let you go then and uh look forward to our next endeavor oh yeah absolutely. absolutely